Well, I hope everybody's having a great day today, a beautiful weather day, right? Makes your bones feel good. Uh, if you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. One Corinthians chapter 10. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And this was a big city. A lot of problems in the city. A lot of sin in the city. A lot of things were going on. But Paul's writing to the Christians in Corinth. And we're going to look at some of those things that he said tonight and see how they can apply to you and I. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. When I was reading this, I was thinking how many times my head's in the clouds. How sometimes I'm not seeing things as the way the Lord wants me to see things. But He is faithful even when I am not. And He gives me His Word, He gives me His Holy Spirit. He gives me people like you that set an example to follow. As Paul writes this letter to the people in the church at Corinth, he's telling them he doesn't want them to be unaware of all the things that went on before them. When their ancestors were in the desert, and the Shekinah glory of God appeared in the formation of a cloud during the day to shelter them from the sun. S-U-N. But to bring them the knowledge of the sun. S-O-N. And they were in the desert. They were in the wilderness. title of the message tonight is Desert or Desert? If you had to choose one of those two, what would it be? I think I know at least 99.9% .9 of your answers. They were also passed through the sea, and we know, especially those of you who are over 35 years old at least, Charleston Heston and the Ten Commandments and that great wall of water on the big screen, how awesome that looked, only to be disappointed years later to find out it was a tub of jello. And still wondering how they did that and be cool to see how they pulled that one off. Verse 2, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. There's many meanings of the word baptized. And one is identification. And one of the things that took place when Moses was, le was leading the Jews out of the slavery of Egypt is that they were cornered. They had the sea on one side and the Egyptian army coming at them on the other side. And there was a cloud that they were afraid of. And it wasn't the cloud 
that sheltered them from the sun and that led them during the day. It was a cloud that was being kicked up by the chariots of the Egyptians. So even though the cloud was there guiding them, and that was the Shekinah glory of God, God's presence guiding them, they still had moments of fear, didn't they? They still had moments where they saw things of the world and they were afraid. And I think all of us can identify with that, that we have moments in our life. Um, we might have had several today where we had anxious moments or fear. Maybe we're fearing something that's coming around the corner in a week or two. Maybe there's been something hanging heavy on our hearts for months. And sometimes we feel that we're in a desert and we don't always feel the presence of God even though we know His Word says He will never leave us or forsake us. That He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But we always don't feel that presence, do we? Or we wonder where it is. Where is God? How come I don't hear from Him right at this moment? And one of the things I want to throw out to you tonight is that dessert tastes the best when you've gone through some difficult times or a hard day and you can finally sit down at the end of the day and relax, have your meal, and have that favorite dessert of yours. Have you ever had dessert, your favorite dessert, and it didn't taste as well as some other times? I have. And some of the times that I really enjoy the dessert is when I haven't had it for a while. And there's been a thing that's been going on in my life and it's over. And I can finally relax. And boy, it really tastes good. Like every, every mouthful is just, oh man, this is awesome. Well, one of the things I'm finding out is that all the things God puts in this tremendous planet of his, he uses for an example for you and me. There's always spiritual lessons even in dessert. These people that were really in the desert, that were being led by Moses, identified with Moses because they followed him through the Red Sea after they were grumbling, wanting to go back to the things of Egypt. But when everything was coming down upon them, Moses, who was the person that God put in charge of these people, led them through the Red Sea. They followed him through. So did the Egyptians. But the ones who identified with Moses came out of the Red Sea, went through it on dry land, came out of it on dry land. The Egyptians, who also followed Moses but did not identify with Moses, the waters caved in on them. Verse 3. All ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. Now, when I came up here tonight, my throat was dry and I drank some of this water but I know I'm going to be dry again and I'm going to need some more of this water. I had a little dinner before I came out here tonight 
and that satisfied me for a while, but I'm starting to get hungry again right now. And I know I'm going to eat some more when I get home, and I'm looking forward to that. But I'm going to feel the same way sometime tomorrow. Because it's not a food or a drink that lasts. But Jesus says here in his word that they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. I think of the woman at the well who came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, you know, you can have water that you'll never be thirsty again. And she said, sir, give me that water. And he pointed to himself that he was that water. And he also said at the Last Supper, this is my body which is going to be given for you. Take and eat it. Now we know he didn't literally mean to eat him, to eat his flesh, or to drink his blood. But it's a symbolism, it's, it's a spiritual lesson that he gives us that we identify with him as the Jews did and identify with Moses who led them through the Red Sea. So we identify with Jesus who leads us through to the cross, through the resurrection, to us one day being reunited with him. We partake of that. We take it in. That is our spiritual nourishment. That satisfies our spiritual thirst that so many people are searching for in all the religions of the world. There's a void. They can never be satisfied because there's only one spiritual drink that will satisfy them, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one spiritual food that will satisfy them, and that's Jesus Christ. Everything else is off base. Everything else is of the enemy. There is only one way to heaven. There is only one truth. Okay? There is only one life, and that's Jesus Christ. In verse 4 it says, For they drank of the spiritual rock. Now picture if that was literal. Can you imagine? When the Israelites were with Moses and then they came to the rock and they all started drinking of the rock, they started sucking on the rock. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the hot lips they must have had? And then what did they do? Just break it up and, and grind it up and then just chew it and swallow it? Is that what Paul is saying here? No. Because as we look at the whole scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we see that this rock is none other than Jesus Christ. And it's upon this rock that our foundation is. And it's on this rock that we stand. There's no other rock. There's no other foundation. I'm sure to say right here that all of us have had another foundation. We've all tried other things. And when the storms of life came or the wilderness experience came, the desert times came, it just melted away. It, it didn't hold us. It didn't support us, did it? But God, through his faithfulness and his love for you and I, through his Holy Spirit, he draws us back. He shows us that he's the firm foundation. The same foundation, the same person that was here in the wilderness, the desert time for these people who are now in glory, the ones who stayed in identity with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that we know is Jesus Christ.
Verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. Did you ever feel that way? That God's not pleased with you? Those of you who have children, think about when you're not pleased with your kids. And all those 99 times that you're not pleased with them, think about the one time you're pleased with them, how it blocks out all those other 99 times. Because your love for them is unconditional. Your love for them is so strong that you overlook all those other things they do for the one or two things that you're just makes you so happy about them. Well, how much more our Heavenly Father in Heaven is pleased with you and me. He's cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. And even though you're hanging on to some of those sins, He doesn't see them. Puts them into the sea of forgetfulness and He just loves you. He sees all the good in you. He sees everything that you're doing. Everything that you're thinking about Him. And He loves you. But these guys and girls here in the desert weren't too pleasing to their, to their God. To the God that they said they had allegiance to. And as a result of their choices, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. I want you to pray on your list for the body of Christ. Pray for them. Because there's a lot of scattered in the wilderness. There's a lot of scattered right in our own congregation. With some of the very things that we'll look at in a few minutes. It's not unique to just non-believers or just to Jewish people or just to Christian people. It's the human condition for some of the things that we're going to look at tonight. But keep your... The, the people in church that you don't know, pray for them. Say, I don't know who that lady is, but I just pray that, Lord, she is so blessed by you today and that you're just speaking to her heart. Pray for those people. Because God wants to unite everybody. He wants to bring everybody in under one head Him. He wants to do that so bad. And there's so many people hurting and confused right within our, within our congregations. Verse 6, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And we'll see this a little later that what we're looking at were examples for you and me. These are things that Paul wrote down in Corinthians that he didn't want the church to be unaware. Didn't want him to be unaware. That's not me, by the way. If I had my little uh, dummy here, then we could uh, do something with him. But not tonight, maybe next time. Um, God did this as an example for you and for me. He wants us to learn the easy way. Those of us who have had teenagers, who have teenagers, I'm sure more than one time, you said, we're trying to tell you these things so you don't have to go through it by experience. That you don't have to learn it the hard way. And you wonder if they're hearing it with that, those glazed eyes and that empty look on their face. But I think God says too, are they hearing me? Are they listening? Can they glean from the examples that I've given them throughout history? 
I don't want Vinny to go through this. Hear me, Vin, what I'm saying. Just believe my word. Well, they lusted after things. And we're going to look at some of the things that went on. And I just want to give you a few definitions of the word lust. Because a lot of times it's in a sexual context, but it doesn't always have to be. Uh, some of the definitions, to turn upon a thing, to turn upon something, to have a desire for, to long for, to desire, to lust after, to covet, to go after those things, to seek those things that are forbidden. Now again, a lot of it has to do with the area of sex, but it can be, you can lust after money, right? You can lust after some other possession. Well, we see here that these people were having a hard time, that they were lusting after evil things. And one of the things that I think of is when you think, what is an evil thing? I mean, we could give a lot of examples of evil things, but I think a good definition of an evil thing is anything that's outside the will of God is an evil thing. Anything that God doesn't want to be in your life is an evil thing. What are those things that God wants in our life? He tells us in his word. You and I cannot get everything in God's word by hearing someone else. You individually have to partake of the banquet table. You got to get in and eat from his words. This is our spirit, your spiritual nourishment, my spiritual nourishment. This is what he wants us to chew on. This is eternal, his word. This is temporary. Verse 7, and do not become idolaters, as were some of them. So now we're seeing some of the evil things. We're going to see a few of the evil things that these people were into. But you know what? 2,000 or more years later, it's no different than some of the things that you and I were into or some of the things that the world's into. We can identify with all of these things. Well, one of the first thing is idolatry. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now, as a phys ed guy, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> they ate, they drank, they rose up, they had a game of hoop, or they threw the football around. This was cool, man. This sounds like a church picnic. But that's not what's going on. What is an idol? An idol is anything you put in the place of God. It can be anything. Can be a person, can be a place, can be a thing. Well, we know that one of the things that these Israelites did while they were in that desert experience is when Moses went up for the Ten Commandments, they built a golden calf. And they started to eat, and they started to drink, and they started to play. But one of the things at play was, was sexual orgies. 
They were going nuts. There were big sexual parties were going on. So they had replaced their worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one that they were following the cloud, God's presence was there. When the cloud stopped, they set up camp. When the cloud moved, they moved with it. They packed up and followed God. So they were in his presence every day. And by night, when it was cold out, it was a pillar of fire that kept them warm and kept them in the presence. They knew by looking at that fire that God was present. Now think of that. Just think of their visual. But yet, they still fell. They still sinned. They still lusted after evil things. They still were idol worshipers. Even when God's presence was so tangible. Now, the thing that you and I, we have a benefit. The benefit is that we've been given a guarantee. We've been sealed by God's Holy Spirit. See, we don't have to look for a sign, a cloud to follow. Or that pillar of fire by night to guide us and keep us warm. We have God's presence dwelling within us. However, Paul is saying here, don't be unaware that in a moment you can step out from under God's care by turning your back and walking into an area that he doesn't want you to be in or that you came from. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Now we know just in our society, the immorality sexually is going on throughout all phases of our society. You know what God, God created sex between a man and a woman to be enjoyed. But the enemy is just perverted it and it's rampant. It's crazy what's going on. Down to 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids. It, it's crazy. There was a prosecutor came into our school. I'm a public school teacher. A prosecutor from Monmouth County came into the school to uh, just talk to all the kids from 7th through 12th grade, and he went into the elementary schools also. Just about all the sexual stuff that's going on with the phones and the Facebook, something that I had covered a month ago with um, hell phones and Facebook message. But it's crazy. I'm over my uh, sister's house, and my niece, who's 21, uh, showed me um, her nephew through a different marriage, so no relation to me directly. And he's 12 years old, show me his Facebook. It was sad. It was, it was terrible. Can't repeat it here, what was on it. The pictures, the words, full of sin. 12 years old. What's that? Uh, sixth, maybe seventh grade. I think sixth or seventh grade. It, it's crazy. All sexually related stuff. And we see that here, 23,000 fell as a result of this sexual immorality. Well, there's more than 23,000 fallen today. 
Graves are filled with people because of sexually wrong choices they've made. And more seem to be following. They're not listening. They don't think it can happen to them. Our young people as well just need a lot of prayer. They need a revival in their heart. There's got to be another revival with this young generation or they're going to be lost. Verse 9, Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. How do you tempt Christ? Ever think of that? How do you tempt him? Or how do you challenge him? One of the ways, I think, is you challenge God's work in your life. Example back here is they were being led out of slavery, out of Egypt. They were in the desert. Manna from heaven, they were being fed, even though there was nothing else around to eat. They were being given drink, but yet they still did things as if everything was going to continue status quo. Like no, they, could, they could go and do their party. You know, they could have their idols. They could have their sexual immorality and God was still going to feed them, still going to lead them out. Their sandals weren't wearing out in the desert. So they were comfortable in their sin, not thinking that anything was going to happen. Even though God was giving them warning signs, 23,000 people fell. But yet there were still things that were going on in the camp. If it happened to God's people back then, can it happen to God's people today? Isn't it happening to God's people today? Think of the sexual immorality that's going on in our pulpits. The pastors, the elders, the deacons that are falling. Why? Because they're not understanding that sin is crouching at the door. Satan is after them to steal and kill and destroy them. He's at the same with you, guys and girls. He wants to take you out. He, do, you, he does not want you to be an effective witness for him. And as we're, war as we're warned towards the end here, you know, take heed lest you fall. Listen. Take heed what God's trying to show you through his word. None of us is immune. We need to keep our guard and stay in the center of God's will. Verse 9, again, we see that through what they did, through the things that they were doing, testing God, that God sent serpents to bite them and they were dying but he also gave salvation. They took a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and anybody who looked at that would not die from the serpent bite. Some people did, some people didn't. Some people listened to what Moses was telling them. Some didn't. Some died, some lived. Why? What is in the human condition that some will listen and put their heart into what's being said, and some just go away. What special thing that you or I did that we're here tonight? I didn't do anything special. 
It's simply more evidence of God's grace and His mercy on fallen men and women. Verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. How's your spirit of thankfulness? Are you a complainer? Or are you someone that looks for the bright lining in the cloud? I know we all complain sometimes. But what does God say about our troubled times? About our desert times? That all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his word. Could there be in the desert desert? Could there be in the desert desert? Not an oasis, not a mirage. Think about it. Think about day like today, if you're outside for a while and the sun beating on you, how it felt. At first, good, but after a while, you were hot. You wanted to get in some shade and how good that shade felt. Maybe you had some lemonade or a nice ice water and how refreshing that was. And boy, if you had a little ice cream cone, whew, how good was that? It was refreshing. Now, take the same scenario. It's freezing out, or a different scenario. Freezing outside. The wind is blowing. You going to look for ice cream? Going to look for that ice water? No, you probably look for a nice hot cup of chocolate or tea or something hot to warm you up. What changed in the two situations? The temperature, the climate. Years after the people came out of the desert, remember, there was only the children that entered the promised land with Joshua and Caleb. It was only the young people, all the adults who fell into all this stuff, the idolatry, the sexual immorality, the testing of God, the complaining, they all perished in the desert. They never got to go to the promised land. You know, you and I can be just like them if we don't continually look to what God has in our lives and how he wants to continually overflow us with his Holy Spirit for the new adventure coming. You know, we could always be in a wilderness experience for the 50, 60, 70, 80 years of our life and never experience God's promises that we're always immature baby Christians, never grown into the full maturity in Christ. And all we have to do is understand some of the things that Paul's saying. Just do a, a litmus test with these things. Is there anything in your life that's taken place, number one place, instead of God? Is God first in your life, or is there something else? Two, is there something sexually in your life that you're being pulled to? TV, books, magazines, internet? anything that's keeping you from staying strong in the Lord. Is there any ways that you're testing Christ? Well, you know, I'm doing all these things, but God's still blessing me. Boy, that's a heck of a way to test God. Doing sin and saying, well, I'm still okay, must be okay, you know. 
complaining spirit instead of a grateful spirit, instead of praising God and thanking Him even for your trials. Because remember, He shows us in nature that even a piece of coal under all the pressure becomes a diamond. And I believe that's a spiritual application for you and I, that when we're under the most pressure, that God is taking you and making you into His diamond because He's chiseling, He's making things better in your life. Verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, way back here, it's the beginning of things. We're seeing everything happen. We can look back in the Bible and see what took place in the lives of the first believers. Now, at the end of the ages, we, we have a greater panorama. We see the cross. We see before the cross. We see after the cross. We see the things that are going on in our world that are pointing to prophetical pictures. Pastors spent that whole time in Revelation and some of the things that identify with things that are going on today. It's a great time to be alive as a believer in Jesus Christ because more and more people are going to see more and more things come down and we have the answer. The world won't be able to give them the answer that will satisfy because there's only one foundation and that of course is Jesus Christ. And just... Uh, Finishing with verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's just a warning. It is an encouragement at the same time. The warning is, don't think that you're so solid with Jesus that you don't have to worry about anything. Even though I took a different way here tonight, I know how to get into this vicinity. But I'm not careless when I drive my car. I still have to pay attention. I still have to stay on the proper side of the highway. I still have to go as close to the speed limit as possible because Joe has all his friends around here. <laughs> Pride comes before the fall. We need to stay humble before our Lord, don't we? Don't we have to stay humble before Jesus? Just be in awe of him that he still is working in our lives in spite of who we are because we're his kids and he loves us. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so 